OPN Ask an Angel podcasts are conversations with global angel investors and venture capitalists. We explore how to invest, understanding investment strategies, and approaches to due diligence. Join us and learn what it takes to be a startup or what it takes to invest in the next great company. Welcome to the Supporters Fund Ask an Investor. I'm your host, Jeffrey Potvin, and let's please welcome Nick Cavoto as our investor today. Welcome, Nick. It's a real pleasure Thank to have you. Thank you so much. Us. Yeah, it is, man. Thank you. Appreciate you having me. Very excited to have you on today. There's been, I, I would say, of probably all the people I've had the opportunity to speak with, you have a lot of content online. I think I've, uh, I don't know if I was able to watch everything, but man, you've got a lot of great stuff. And that's very exciting for uh, for anybody that gets the opportunity to chat with you or interview you. They're always going to be looking for a lot of great content so they can have a lot of backup. So I'm super excited to be able to review that. So the way we like to start the show off is that we'd like to learn a little bit more about yourself. So maybe you can share a little bit about your background all the way back from Circuit City School, all the great things that you've done uh, to get yourself to where you are today. And then one thing about you that nobody would know. Awesome. Well, um, I'll start by saying, yeah, my first uh, kind of real world job, I was 17 and started working at Circuit City. And, um, you know, for those of you who don't know what Circuit City is, then that means you're younger than me uh, and I'm 34. So <laughs> it's a pretty cool spot. Think of Best Buy, very similar big box store around electronics. And, um, you know, I'll tell you the interesting thing about me that most people don't know because it's in context of that story. Uh, but I was the number three salesperson in the whole company working part time as a, you know, a teenager. Basically, I was less than 20 years old. And uh, most people don't know that. But um, I've kind of been an OG in sales for a long time. And uh, I've always been very revenue minded, but very intentional on the heart basis of what I choose to do and, and how I choose to do it. So I started at Circuit City, went from there and, uh, you know, had a pretty cool job in, in college. I worked at the Breakers Hotel in South Florida, learned the hospitality industry, which was pretty epic. I had a choice of working there at Mar-a-Lago and chose to work at the Breakers. And um, yeah, it was fascinating when they hosted the Ferrari Convention of the World there. Met a lot of really powerful people. Uh, and that was such a neat experience. Went, uh, went on to go into vocational ministry where I started as an intern executive assistant, and then uh, ended up actually being number two in the organization and built, uh, you know, the church from a thousand to 10,000 people every weekend with multi-site locations uh, that were international. We had six different locations. And uh, that was certainly the first feather in the cap, if you will, as far as success goes and in business, because when you're running a, you know, eight figure budget at 25, um, you know, you're running a business. We're not talking about a couple, you know, 10, 20, 30, hundred people showing up on a weekend. We're talking about event marketing, uh, and managing huge buzz budgets, you know, inviting other public speakers. It was a really cool experience. Had a lot of fun doing that. Um, and then from there, uh, I went into the startup world and I worked for my first startup, which was called six month smiles. They're still around to this day doing really cool things. They were, uh, the primary, technology uh, competitor to Invisalign for uh, essentially creating straight teeth, um, you know, with a less than noticeable look. So uh, help that company grow by implementing, um, you know, essentially HubSpot as a marketing platform, a sales and marketing platform. And uh, I did it with a hundred grand, grew the company by five million in nine months. And that's when I knew that I both had the competence and the confidence to uh, go out into the business world and do something and make a splash. So post my first uh, startup, I went into Fortune 500. I managed a billion dollars worth of products at Paychex, uh, managed three different lines of business that were all rolling up into their primary suite of human capital management as a software um, product and um, basically got bored in 11 months, took 300 performing teams and doubled their revenue and said, I'm out of here too. Um, I got sniped from a HubSpot executive who remembered me from the days at Six Months Miles. They invited me into an incubator in Boston and, uh, you know, the, the company basically, you know, as Nest today, part of the um, uh, part of the acquisition process was picking up our company, but um, spent a lot of time in Boston in the startup community there and then built my own agency. I built three different companies, should have exited on a few of them, uh, but I chose to kind of hang on. And those are part of the entrepreneur lessons. I was in my late 20s, early 30s and learning really valuable lessons. And uh, now um, I spend most of my time working with high performers. So we're talking celebrities, public figures, um, you know, uh, speakers, inspirational leaders. And I'm a bit of a maverick behind the scenes, helping them close the gap between where they are and where they want to be. 
Um, and it's a ton of fun. I have so much fun doing it. So I believe that people are the world's most powerful brands. And that's where a lot of my investment opportunities come from. Amazing. Uh, really, uh, <laughs> I think that uh, you've done quite a few things for uh, for the short amount of time, or we could say the long amount of time from your Circuit City days to today. <laughs> uh, if we if we go back to the, the Circuit City time, and you know, it's interesting that in all of the roles that you have, you have a defining figure that defines who you are in that role. Meaning, you took a hundred thousand, made it into five million. You took the top three salespeople. You were part time. So there's always one, um, I guess, metric that defines the role each time that you went through. What do you think is defining from that time that you started? Is it your hunger and drive for success? Is it your way of breaking through? Uh, the monotony of what's being done and finding ways to be clever, more innovative, smarter, faster, quicker to sell. What do you think has really been the feature that defines you in each, not every role, but overall, I say the encompassing thing, because when you take those metrics, they are sales driven. They are that you're getting yourself out there, that you're not afraid of anybody. You're not afraid to talk to someone, stop them in their tracks and sell them something. What is that piece that really defines each one of those roles that uh, that helped you succeed from Circuit City forward? Yeah, human behavior. Um, you know, I'm really good at sales and marketing because I really understand people and why they do what they do and what their foundational reasons are on why they're doing it. You know, my brother worked with me at Circuit City, my oldest brother. So there's a bit of like the youngest in the family, the oldest in the family. Right. Little competition there. And uh, he used to get really pissed because he'd be like, man, I just I'm telling everybody about the TVs and all the different specs and what they can do and contrast ratios. And you're like, you know, out on St. Patty's Day with your buddy across the street, like drinking Long Islands and you come back and close twenty five thousand dollars worth of deals. I said, it's very simple. I ask him two questions. Number one. So in the process of bringing you here, like what, what are you looking to achieve? Like basically what's your goal? What do you want? And they'd be like, well, you know, my wife, she loves watching movies, you know, and so like that's primarily, okay, cool. So movies or sports, which one's more important? Movies, great. Then you're going to go with the Sony XBR. And I immediately put them into that product fit based on their needs and desires or their wants. And I can just cut that path really quick because I'm great at building rapport with people. And it happens from mostly the visual concepts and or uh, some of the early conversation pieces. I'm not talking to them about contrast ratios. I'm talking to them about imagining uh, what that feeling will be like when all their friends come to their house for the big game. And that's what sells people. It's emotion. And so being an illuminator on emotion and not a manipulator on emotion, but I'm allowing them to basically, I suffocate their BS of all the reasons of why they can't do it. And I overcome their, their objections with emotion and uh, essentially with clarity. So those are the things, but it's all in human behavior. I'm great at marketing, great at sales because I understand psychology. When you're, when you're, and I think this is brilliant. So when you're, when you're working with that person, when they initially come to you, uh, are, are you, how are you getting them? Cause you know, there's that, well, if you don't buy it today, you're going to miss out. The price is going to go up. You know, there's that high pressure sales tactic, which everybody thinks they need to use. It sounds like you're kind of approaching this in a, a less formal way, but almost becoming their mentor or their coach on getting the best product by making them feel comfortable enough in an instance by learning more of what they want, letting them do the talking. So you're spending more time listening while feeding and pulling that information out and then going in, call it for the kill, but going in for that end close, which is, Hey man, you've given me enough information over the last five minutes of you drooling over this TV that I set you up in front of. I'm going to close you now. Is that a fair kind of uh, analogy on how you've kind of worked this process? Totally. Um, it came out of the foundational understanding that I knew that whoever was showing up spent way more time researching these TVs on Amazon or on, you know, some industry consumer products site. You know, educators are, are, are uh, buyers are educated now more than ever. So they are already coming in with a preconceived idea. So what I learned was to pinpoint that distinction. Samsung wanted to be known for having this, the best sports television. Sony wanted to be known for having the best television for an experience, which happened to be better in the kind of film sector rather than in the sports sector. So the technology that went into the TVs were basically, I was offering them the same information and the same approach as Consumer Reports. So I understood they're coming in at a nine out of 10 in their decision-making. 
So I didn't want to stray them from their decision. I wanted to reinforce what they already knew was true. And my approach was to be a confidant. So they're like, well, the guy at Circuit City said I should get this one. And here's why, which reaffirms their truth that they already had a conversation with about at home with their spouse. So I, all I did was reaffirm the things that were already true. And if I felt like somebody was making a bad decision, then I would be honest with them about it. But I never have done high pressure sales um, ever. I've done $200 million in revenue for my clients. I've done eight figures myself. And I've never had to use a high pressure tactic because I just believe that the, you know, the game is a long game because people would come back the weekend after and only buy from me. So you get more repeat and recurring trust because that was my intent to be the most trusted person in that room in you know a room full of potential sleazeballs. So that was it, man. And I built that reputation and anyone to say, if, hey, if you're going to go buy a TV, you got to talk to Nick. And, and I think that's great for obviously the reoccurring section of, uh, of business, 100%. But I, I liked what you said by you wanted to be the most trusted person. And I think that that makes a big difference because even in today's world with the amount of startups that are building up around the same products, the same business everywhere, there's always a difference between how someone is being trusted. Are they bringing the right knowledge, information, uh, maturity, emotion, all of these things to the game. And when they're doing that, how are they balancing that out? Are they trustworthy? Or are they doing it in a greasy way? And it sounds like the way you were approaching it was, and again, I go back to listening because you're feeding them and you're giving them the information that meets what they already felt they knew. So you're closing them by building that comfort level. And the reason why I'm kind of diving into this is because I look at startups and I see so much of the startup vision of where they want to go, how they want to build the company. And they always lack the strength in sales. It always is the toughest part for them. You know, the founder is always the number one salesperson. Well, that shouldn't be the case, but it is, unfortunately, because they built the company. But that change has to happen quicker and at a way earlier stage. And that comes to building that trust, building that value exchange that is lacking in that early stage person that understands how to sell, how to market. And because that form has changed so much from your Circuit City days to today, and you mentioned it, very educated consumers, I think it actually makes it even better for the salesperson because they're coming to you with their shopping cart full. And you're really just going to ring them up because they've already done the research. They have all the information and all you're doing is kind of guiding them through that next stage. And I think that that's kind of where a lot of learning has to come out. And maybe you can share one, two, three, four steps on how you can really get the founder or the startup group to understand how they can really fuel their teams, because it seems like this is really a lacking support area. Totally. Uh, I'm going to give you two things. And I'm going to go into that, that step-by-step -step process. So, um, one of my clients was the essentially the grandfather of personal development in the West. Um, he started with Mind Dynamics in the 1970s. So he really brought the human potential movement to the States. And um, he gave me a really good nugget. Um, he, his company was called ARC, A-R-C, was like his own LLC and stuff. He built a $40 million coaching business, met with emperors and presidents. I mean, we're talking... He mentored 1.3 million people in his career. So this is a huge, like the godfather in personal development in training and equipping. And so ARC st stood for awareness, responsibility, and communication. Now, the interesting concept is they had a certain level of awareness. And I knew this intuitively before I even knew it intellectually. Certain amount of awareness around what they wanted or what their objections were or whatever. So there's an awareness piece that exists. So you want to uncover that first. The second thing is responsibility. So what is my responsibility in the journey with the client and what is theirs? My responsibility is not to convince them. My responsibility is to essentially get them what it is that they want. So as long as it makes sense for them to do it. I got really frustrated when people would get people filling out credit apps and let's, let's call it what it is. From a glance, you knew that maybe financially they were struggling, but they would push them and push them and push them and push them. That's not my responsibility. My responsibility is to have integrity, to be honest, and to be forthright and truthful with them. And that's how I measured my success and what's my responsibility. If theirs is to fix the broken TV in their house, then great, <laughs> they're there to do that, right? Now, the last thing is communication. Communication is also very um, uh, attached to a change model. So there's a change that's happening. And so the communication part for me was to be a guide, be it more of a consultative process to be their ally. Um, people enjoy a sales process when they're the one buying and you're not the one selling. 
And that's a concept that in cold, hard sales, again, is not rooted in psychology. I don't use NLP. I don't use manipulation tactics. I don't use high pressure. I focus on the product itself, the marketing that we're doing within the product. That's why I was entrusted with a billion dollars worth of products at 28 was because I understood the intent behind the product, how we market it, and how the integral line can follow through on this change event that's happening in their life, in their world, or in their business. So that methodology around ARC, all the whole umbrella of that surrounds readiness. You only can shift someone's readiness one degree. And this is what Robert taught me. And it was Robert White, um, readiness, you can only shift someone's readiness one degree. So if someone comes in and you're studying them while they're talking and you're like, what's their readiness? It sounds like they're at a three or four. Why not just ask them, you know, just out of curiosity, you've probably done a ton of research. How ready are you to make this decision? I understand it may not be with me. I don't even care. That's not my intent. My intent is to understand where you're at. So on a scale of one to 10, how ready are you to buy? Like if this is the right solution. I ask people down the upfront. Why? Well, because I might tell them, well, because I have to make sure that we even have stock. I don't want to go tell you that. Yeah, sure. You can walk away with it today. We don't have the stock for it. So what's your readiness? And they might be like, well, an eight. Epic. I can close a nine or a 10 all day long. Those are the ones who just come through the line. You just scan the stuff and they go on their way. If someone's less than a six, you're not going to sell them that day. Not even close. They're detractors. They're actually going to steal away your time and energy and effort and your attention and pull you away from the cell. So if they're that person, I'm like, we're having a beer. We're having a coffee together because there's nothing that I'm going to say today that's going to get you into a buying position. Number seven, lucky seven, is the, is the point of which you can tip them over. If they're like, I don't know, I'm at a seven. You're like, I could have one conversation. I could drop one nugget today that changes everything and rocket ships the growth. So understanding the buyer, and it's surprising to me because most SaaS companies or software companies are now developing from you know, the user experience first. But we have to have that show up inside of our, um, uh, inside of our product marketing. We have to let the word sell, the product sell itself. And then we need to be in the right place with the right person, the right time, with the right messaging. And those are the things that typically people overlook. The founder knows it because they've convinced X amount of people to work for them, to believe in a product. They're leveraging their enthusiasm and they're leveraging their tonality and you know all of their life experience to close the deal. But the switch happens when you have to lean on product marketing and not the founder and their personality and their bravado to close a product. So that's the primary thing. I'll let you respond to that and then I'll talk to you about the trust equation. What I like about this is that there's a couple of pieces that break into this. And I think, again, a lot of this is missing from the mindset of uh, a, a business that has to sell. And everybody is selling. You're selling. We're all selling every day. Mm-hmm. And I think what that is, is that what you really defined for the startup, there's two sides of the coin here, is focus on your product. And you define this earlier on by saying, Samsung, they created their TV so that it was for sports or um, Mitsubishi created their TV so that it was for entertainment and movies. But you knew that as a salesperson. And if you didn't know that, you can't bucket them and you can't take that information, which is valuable of what they're looking for, to go in to bring them into that product market fit. And a lot of founders may have gone in thinking everybody needs this solution. Well, that's not really what's happening here. It's not everybody. You have to define it. You really have to narrow this down of your focus. And that is one way for salespeople to be able to close faster and quicker because they can focus. Um, And then I think the other one is uh, ask questions. Lots of questions that can bring out that valuable information. And don't be afraid to step on toes. Because if you don't, you're never going to know if they're a seven. And you're not going to know if you can move them over the edge. So while you're kind of diving into this um, process, what's your timing on yourself? Are you giving yourself a time? Because I know that I look at something, I'm like, if I can't close this guy in 10 minutes, then I'm doing something wrong. So in your mind, are you always trying to fast track it on the next, the next, and the next? So you're refining the tool, refining the tool, refining it, so that you were able to do this in such a speed that you knew exactly what they were going to say before they said it. You were already walking to the spot where they were going to be like, this is the TV you're looking for. I can tell right now. What did that look like for you? And then how do you think this can help unfold it for a startup founder? Totally. Um, So uh, I have a unique gift of intuitive knowing. It's just the way that I'm created. Okay. So it's just, I'm different by design. I can pick up on people's energy really, really quick. And I can kind of get a feel for what's going on in their 
energy very quickly. So I, I can usually pick up on that and I've learned how to be right most of the time. And there's times that I'm wrong, but that's, you know, less by chance. So what I, what I realized is when someone was walking in the door, um, I was kind of measuring their energy first. Are they looking excited and upbeat or are they downtrodden and frustrated? Like, why are they there? I'm trying to pick it up from looking at them and analyzing. The second thing was, you know, essentially like if, if I found out for somebody, like I, I realized I am not in the business of convincing people of anything. This is probably one of the best nuggets for salespeople that you've just got to know. And this is just how it works. One to 3% of the market is ready to buy right now. That's one to three out of every 100 people is ready to purchase today. Meaning if you've got a list of 1,000 people, well, you got some deals on the table right now you can go after. Even a list of 100 people, you can close a deal. But the trick is understanding how ready they are, right? But you have people who will be ready soon who are between three to 15%. So those people will be ready soon. Those are the people that you can actually try to do that readiness test with and push them over the edge. So if you think you're going to close everybody walking in the door, we all know that's not going to happen. But for me on pace, no, my, my spit test is, do I have to convince this person to buy? If I realize I have to convince them to buy, I will walk away within, and it takes me about 25 seconds. So I, I immediately shut off the sales brain and I go immediately into, uh, you know, how can I best serve them in a transitional element of getting them onto whatever they need to do next? Um, so, you know, in the belly to belly sales process, that would be like, well, Hey, you know what? Um, here's my card. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out when I just knew it wasn't going to happen. Uh, in the digital world, it's, Hey, you know what? Actually, I'm going to give you some of your time back. Um, because, and here's why, and I'll tell some people right out of the gate, like based on the conversation up to this point, I don't think you guys are ready. I'm more than happy to demo it for you. In fact, I'll tell you a competitor that you can go talk to because I'll let somebody else do the hard work of getting them from a five to an eight. And then I'll let them come back when they're ready. Why? Cause I was the person who was honest with them that they trusted. So if my product stands alone as itself and there's a competitor out there, but I know I'm better. I'll let them run around circles all day long. And guess what? Being the most trusted person in the room means to be the person who had the integrity and the ethics to go like, I don't think this is the right fit for you guys right now, but when you're ready, I'm your guy. And I check in every now and then. I love it, man. That's awesome. That's very, uh, very smooth and insightful. And, and I love that it just wraps back to the trust element. It's just setting the page up for that. And, and I think it really makes a, a difference. And this goes for, and you mentioned it, and I'm glad you did which is, this isn't all about being offline sales. This is all online sales. It all works the same way. It's how you engage. It's the branding. It's the comfort level that you bring to that sale. It's ensuring that the other person on the other end understands from the beginning to end what you're trying to achieve and what they're trying to buy from you or, or however that process is going to work. You mentioned you've got a, a couple of points on the process side. Um, I'll let you uh, jump in and share those, please. Yeah, Covey explained this uh, theory of the trust equation. So the trust equation is your credibility, reliability, and intimacy. And that's basically divided by or over the self-orientation of the person. This is, you know, again, what uh, unconsciously I knew. I'm a fifth generation entrepreneur. My dad was a street pharmacist turned, you know, franchise owner. <laughs> my grandfather was a franchise owner. Um, my great grandfather uh, was a farmer. You know, it goes back, you know, a couple more times. But um, I've been raised in sales my whole life. And when you learn enough about sales, you realize it's not sales. And that's, that's the, that's the crescendo at the climax of learning everything you can about sales is has nothing to do with sales it has everything to do with relationships, which is what credibility, reliability, and intimacy. Think of it in your own life. Who do you want in your corner? If you are making a big purchasing decision, buying a house or, you know, maybe investing in something or looking for the next job opportunity, or even if you're looking for somebody to spend, you know, a good portion of your life with. They want to be, you want them to be credible, reliable, and you want to have intimacy with that person. And that's over your own self-orientation and the way that you describe those elements. So my masterful trick at being great at sales is I just do it the way that I would want someone to do it for me. And that's it. And who do I want? I want someone who's consultative, someone who can quench my fears uh, or my lack of certainty with certainty uh, and with excitement. And that's my bulldozer that I use for objection handling is I usually overcome with higher emotion. And sometimes I can even leverage spirituality. Like, dude, we only got one of these things left. As long as I'm being truthful, integrity, honesty, and truth, as long as those are my guiding principles, and that's true, I'm going to leverage any universal law or principle that I can. You're like, we have the both have the same colored shirt on. I'll look for 
anything to create that common intimacy. I might ask them, where'd you go to school? Or, hey, where do your kids go to school? Oh, I went to school there too. Done, done, right? Like, and if someone asked about me, I have the credibility, I have the reliability and the intimacy because I was great friends with people. That if they say my name, it's going to come up with somebody who's trustworthy. And that's the ultimate game. I like that you you utilize the term of personalizing it. I think that this goes back to your self-branding. And I think that if you stick to your guns on how you see the world and how you operate uh, from the trust perspective, uh, personalizing it, you know, finding out a little bit of information personally about that person, it's going to stick. And I love that you pointed out this school part too, that it brands you in a way, because I think a lot of today's generation are now looking at it going, oh, you know, Gary Vee said you shouldn't go to school. You should spend your money on becoming an entrepreneur. But it does bring a lot of branding value to you because they can associate where you went, what you accomplished. And that also brings that trust factor, which is, oh, you went to a big school in a big city. Oh, you must be a bad person. Or you went to a big city, a big school in a small city. Oh, you must be really grounded. People do actually think this way. And it does carry a lot of weight and value in your morality of how you're going to sell. 100%, man. 100%. I'll give a and pro tip. I, oh, go ahead. Go, <laughs> yeah, ahead. go ahead. No, no, you go. <laughs> I was going to say only because I brought up Gary V. Um, I see that uh, you've done some things with Gary V. And uh, uh, obviously we're all big fans of Gary V. But now that uh, we brought it up, you're going to have to share that story. <laughs> but do the pro tip first and then we can jump into the Gary V. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah, the pro tip is, you know, if you read less sales books and learned more from pickup artists on how to like talk to girls on Tinder, you'd probably double your sales. Um, because again, it's the human behavior concept of someone choosing you, um, out of a sea of other people. And so how do you be interesting? How do you pick out commonalities? How do you, you know, approach and have a conversation? And it's so funny cause I've been married for nine years. So these things don't apply to me, but I still study the concepts on the human behavior side. And so I'll mess with my buddies if we're out and I'll be like, dude, you should go, you know, talk to that girl over there or whatever. And he's like, nah, dude, out of my league. I'm like, dude, you're a loser. And I tell him like straight up and I mess with them. Right. Cause these are like my homies, but I'll be like, here's the deal. Put my head on her head. Now go have a conversation. It's a game changer. Why? Because when you, when you feel like an opportunity is too good to be true, that could be a big deal made with Microsoft for somebody who's selling a SaaS product. They're going to get, you know, five figures of uh, user, a user base for their product. If you feel like it's too good to be true, they'll pick up on that energy and they won't buy from you. So, and the other concept too, is that most people don't charge enough money. I've seen more people lose deals because they should have added a zero to the deal. And when you're working on the enterprise level, if you're not charging enough, they won't take you serious enough. So those are two little hacks, like have a conversation, like you're talking to one of your friends that builds the trust factor faster than anything that you can imagine. Don't be so pro that you can't, have an honest conversation with somebody the way you would talk to one of your friends. Um, it's called bro talk in sales. I think that's what it's called. Um, but that's the way it was approached to me, which someone said, that's what you do. And I'm like, I don't feel like I do that. I think I just show up very powerfully as who I am. And I don't try to be anybody different. Um, it's a hack that I'm grateful for that I have naturally. But if more people can kind of like loosen up the reins a little bit and say, hey, how's life? And not just start with let's get our presentation started. You're going to be surprised at how powerful the results are. Um, so yeah, so normalizing it, right. You, you're course, kind of man. normalizing that, that environment, uh, having that pre-discussion, having a little chuckle and then getting down to business. So you, you're, you're making it feel like, uh, I'm here to deliver something, but we can be friends first. We don't have to drive into this right away. Let's familiar ourselves, familiarize ourselves with each other. Uh, you know, small talk, and then we'll jump into the, the end result. And, and I like that. I, I think that, uh, you've got some great observation, of course, on the energy side, which most people may not pick up, but you can control that energy side by the right questions or the right information you share. And, and I think that's actually crucial to the starting of any engagement. Um, and then, you know, obviously no one's going to complain on the charge more side, which is draw your line <laughs> and make sure you draw that line. Because if you don't, people will beat you up just like a little kid will take you to the cleaners. It's the same idea. If you don't draw that line and stick to it, uh, you'll, you'll never have an endpoint. It'll just keep dropping down. So uh, super valuable. Um, thank you. You're welcome. Now Gary V. Daddy Gary V. Gary v store. All yes. right. So 2015 
or 16, somewhere around there. And it's kind of blurry for me because my mom got diagnosed with breast cancer and it was a really hard reality. I remember I could literally play the movie in my head, uh, the time that she told me and it's okay, honey, I'm going to be all right. You know, and she was, she's been in the medical industry, um, for over 30 years. So, you know, she's all in the science in her head about it. Um, and I'm dealing with the fact that, holy shit, my mom could die. You know, I mean, this is, this is real stuff. Um, so I remember she told me, and, uh, I was right on the precipice of like launching my first agency kind of consulting based agency or firm. And I just remember going like all in, like, I was just like, I'm going to go all in. And so I would listen to Gary Vee in the background of me working because I didn't have a, a, a mentor specifically in entrepreneurship of the modern day. I had my dad, I had my grandfather, but it's so different. Like, the world's so different. My dad was a drug dealer. So, you know, like the concepts of how to give people what they want. A lot of that comes from there. But the other side was like that, you know, uh, not all principles applied the same and thank God he found Jesus and his life changed. But the, the primary thesis is like his knowledge base was in a different way. So I just listened to Gary Vee. I love the, the blue collar approach. I love the honest approach. Felt like he was somebody who I could trust. Listen to him day in, day out, day in, day out. I mean, for like eight, 12 hours a day while I'm working. Boom, boom, boom. Well, long short, I was able to help my mom with her medical bills and uh, covered all her co-pays, handled everything. And my mom makes really good money. That's not the point. The point was that I wanted to be able to show up powerfully for her and have a, you know, an honest uh, ability to contribute in a time of what I felt like was need because she couldn't work and she's self-employed. So she wasn't making money at that time. And I wrote Gary a, a letter on, uh, on email and I was just like, dude, you changed my life and here's how. And if you look up uh, from my inbox to yours, uh, which he started publishing on Medium, I was the first post, 001. Um, and he posted my email and kind of shared briefly about what his experience was there. So that was dope. That started off like a chain of conversation between him and I. Um, I was able to get my sister a uh, an internship at VaynerMedia. And she, worked, she ended up working there for about three years. And before he released his deck on the 87 ways to produce the content, you know, the whole you know, micro content process. Um, I spent before he did that, I spent about 18 months studying the way that he produced content because I felt like it was the new wave, which I was right on that. Uh, and secondarily, I attached it to the psychographics of what I felt like was happening. And so I created the 13 types of content that every entrepreneur needs to create and also gave a lot of the foundational work because my sister was there by then kind of through the back door through her on the foundational strategy of what he ended up building out as like his trickle down effect, which is an old school OTT over the air, um, uh, you know, kind of process on, on, uh, what they would do with, with television. So he used a television process of truncating content and then leveraged it essentially through the, uh, through social. So, uh, yeah, so that was a cool kind of little hallmark, um, of studying and, and having the, uh, you know, essentially the omnipresence approach and all those different types of things. I helped my buddy Scott Olford create his methodology, which went nuts, zero to 10 million in nine months. Absolutely insane. Um, so yeah, it was really, really cool. So we had a lot of fun doing that and developed a cool relationship. Very different today, like 2015 Gary versus 2022 Gary, uh, different level. Um, so like the comms are not the same as they used to be, but he's been an integral part of my life. Absolutely amazing. And, um, gave me a huge plus one on, uh, on the content strategy part. And then certainly on the personal part as well. So he's been a figure of mine, man. He'll always be held in high regard. Oh, that's a great story. Great story. Yeah. And, yeah. and it shows you that uh, you do the right things and you, you focus and you dive in, you can, you can meet your biggest heroes and you can do some work and you can share a lot of great things over the next few years with that. So I think that's a brilliant story. Thanks, man. How does um, now taking, all these things that you've gone through and let's jump into the ministry side and everything else. How much of this builds confidence in you to get you where you are today? The being able to be there, like I'm going to guess that if you're sitting in front of a pastor who's talking in front of a crowd and has to take an energy level of zero up to a hundred and getting everybody whipped up and getting excited about, well, virtually not being able to see something and being part of a story and being able to leave that place feeling amazing about themselves and being able to watch this, learning your sales side, and now you've driven all the way to getting into your own coaching side. How much of these experiences that you've had have really delivered you to get to where you are today? Dude, it's been an um, incredible journey. And each experience, I think, lends its own 
uh, story and area of competency. And then I, th- I think there's a, a there's a multiplier, a compound effect. Like when you've had multiple successes in multiple verticals and they're still based on the same thing, that's how you find your superpower. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, motivating, you know, 10,000 people every weekend to then get a thousand of them to literally show up to work for free every weekend and volunteer. Like that's the hardest thing that you'll ever do. That's the hardest sales pitch you'll ever have um, is getting people who are literally bought into pure vision and you're leveraging their belief system in order to be uh, essentially the guiding principle of why they would choose to do what they're doing. And so when we talk about speeds and fees, and I know uh, the late uh, Steve Jobs talked about this a lot, you know, that they focused on the product experience and much less on the speeds and fees, the, you know, just features, features, features like HP did that. And they went towards benefits and outcomes. Um, that's all rooted in belief system. And when you talk at belief system, it's literally a different frequency. It's like tuning your radio to a different channel. And so when you're talking to someone based on their belief system and their values or their virtues, um, and you have a common story that attaches to theirs, that's the ultimate way to win, like in holistic product marketing. Um, and so a lot of times we speak to the actions and we're not speaking to the beliefs. And I think that's where the greatest gap comes up. So if they believe that their job should be easier, if they believe that there's a better way to do it, those things are a lot more powerful than saying that, you know, uh, putting in the mathematics of it. I think that's much less needed. I've always told people, and this was one of my opening lines when I worked in corporate uh, in Fortune 500. I said, if you can like and for our products that we're pitching and that we're positioning for the market, if we can put basically our words in their mouth, be it that we can explain the way they feel in a way that they don't even know how to describe it themselves, we'll win. That was my entire thesis on ensuring that I was able to triple three different, basically three different categories that I was able to double to triple all of their results was based on that. That's why copywriting or messaging or key messaging is so important because you're identifying the way that a prospect feels when they don't even know how to describe it themselves. They know how they feel. They just can't find the words. And if you put the words in their mouth, you've ultimately won the game. They become your sales vehicle because they're sharing what you've written and they're defining it by sharing that with their friends, their family, everybody else, because you found how they felt. You made that connection. They love what you're doing and boom, you're off to the races. Yeah, if you listen closely enough, your customers will tell you exactly what you do. The problem is most people don't listen. It sounds like our entire talk today is about listening and figuring <laughs> yeah, out how to seems better like communicate because really it, it does come down to listening. And, you know, you mentioned sales isn't really sales. It's communication and it's understanding and, and it's emotion. There is so many of those, we'll call them catchphrases, but they really are what define how marketing works. Like branding and of that, of course, is massive, but branding comes from listening. Branding comes from understanding your audience um, and then kind of testing it and building it forward. And you do this online with beta testing. You do this online with everything you do right today. So I think there's uh, really underlying tones here that it, it really does take some time. And um, I'll share that my line is, is listen twice, speak once. And I think, you know, maybe in your case as being someone that is a lot heavier into the sales side, maybe you're listening four times and speaking once, but make that one time pretty powerful because that's what's going to lead them from a seven to a 10. Very true, man. You know, communication surrounds relationships and the success of them. I tell a lot of people, especially when I'm coaching, if they're having struggles describing their products or if they're having, you know, the heebie-jeebies around sales and stuff, I'll be like, you don't need to fix your marketing, you need to fix your marriage. That's a real eye opener for them really quick. Cause as soon as I hit that level and I can pick up on it, it's game over. Why? There's a communication problem. There is a empathy problem. There is a, I say it this way. The key to the heart is compassionate curiosity. Be compassionately curious. I truly want to help you. And I'm really curious. Okay. Well, tell me about what your experience has been like so far. And they'll tell you, they'll go, man, that sucks. Sorry to hear that. What else is going on? And then they'll tell you. And then you'd be like, dang, well, what would it feel like if you didn't have to deal with that? And they'll be like, well, that'd be amazing. The minute the market's so savvy, the minute if they smell blood like sharks, you're toast. You will lose integrity. This is why the integral game is so important, because if you don't show up with high integrity and you use tactics that I'm talking about, you'll get sniffed out so fast, you'll be screwed. Throw out all the training that you know, show up with compassionate curiosity, 
offer a heart of service to truly help someone to get them on mission with, with whatever it is that they want to achieve. And you become a confidant, not a comrade, not somebody who's just the enemy of my enemy is my friend. You become someone who's truly in their corner. You can't buy that. That just comes with truly being of positive intent. And I think that's the best way to sell. Be compassionately curious. I'm getting hot, man. <laughs> well, I'm not on the hot side, but brilliant on those, those lines. Uh, I, I love the, uh, compassionate curiosity. I, I think it, it really does change the way you look at somebody or sales or an opportunity uh, is being able to take that moment and have some empathy for the person on the other side of the table, learn a little bit more, ask the right questions and then move forward. And, and if, again, it, this goes back to the whole side of how you've kind of framed uh, out your business over the years, but certainly today on how you engage people and how you can motivate them and get the best out of them. And that comes through the listening and that empathy. So very well shared. Um, and I know that today you're doing a lot of great things around the coaching side uh, and helping um, entrepreneurs and businesses better understand the value and what they have, and then taking that to the next level, scaling and growing their business. But it all starts with that individual and starts with that CEO and, and really helping that person figure out their brand and what they're trying to achieve. Um, and I, I got a lot of uh, great nuggets in my note taking from how you're working with these founders and helping them open that up. And maybe just before we transition into, into the next uh, segment is you could share a little bit about how your mastermind groups work. Um, I think there's a lot of groups around the world and a lot of mastermind groups that are coming out, but maybe you can just share a little bit about how you define yourself and how you're getting these mastermind groups to really take off and bring a lot of value. And that's really at the end of the day, it's all about value. So uh, please share totally, some man. of that. Yeah. And value to me is uh, based on its ability of usefulness. So how useful is it? Um, I want you to take an internal audit right now of the people that you have texted in your phone, the last five people. If those are not people who are lifting you up, who are confidants for you, who are collaborators in what you're doing, who are spurring you on and pushing you forward, helping you actually solve different challenges and opportunities in your life and your business. If those people are not the types of people that you want around you, then this is the op for you. And here's the deal. Like you might want to upgrade the opportunity, the types of people that you're working with, but you also might feel really stuck because you don't know how to do it. That's why I created MentorMind, which for me is a invitation only uh, mastermind group that has a mentorship complex inside of it because it's entrepreneurs helping entrepreneurs. And when you can help another entrepreneur versus if you hire another consultant, that's usually where the challenges get amplified. You're like, I'm paying all this person all this money and I'm not getting the results that I want. Yeah, go talk to an entrepreneur for five minutes who solved the problem and watch how quickly it gets done. So if your entrepreneurial community is hemorrhaging and or you're feeling really isolated, um, that's what I do. I build entrepreneurial communities to get really epic people around each other. And I'm not talking about like epic people who are doing, you know, uh, $4,000 a month in sales. I'm talking about Justin Bieber's creative director. I'm talking about one of the biggest franchise owners in the world. I'm talking about, you know, the guy who wrote the book on personal branding. I'm talking about the New York Yankees mindset coach. That's the level of the quality of people. And then I have to remind people, if you're not there right now, that's okay. Don't disqualify yourself because you don't think you're important enough. That is total BS. The reality for me, as you guys have learned today, the reality for me is alignment on being around the right people and getting people access to opportunities they wouldn't normally have. So if you're in a position of where, you know, you're looking for someone to help you, uh, you know, navigate challenges or different issues in your business, or you're looking to be with other people who are pushing forward to achieve massive success, then I guess you could take a, a check out and, and look at nickvudo.com slash mentor mind. And um, you can apply and I'll see if you're a good fit. If you are, it's gonna be based more off of your energy than anything else. These are epic people. Yes, they're doing really epic things. Yes. Why? Because I believe you can't do epic things with basic people. So if you're in a spot of where you're ready, it's pretty simple. Um, join it. And and the other concept too, I think that's important is if you hire a coach or a consultant or take another course, let's just say you hire a, a coach for 5k a month. You have one perspective for $60,000 a year. This, this group you go check the pricing. And if you go to the site, it's not even anywhere close to that. Cause this is something that I built off of really like my passion to help entrepreneurs. This is a, a very simple process, but I think here's the, the unique thing that's, that's really worth mentioning on every call. There's over a million dollars worth of value. We've had people walk away and close $385,000 deals from one invitation. That's the power of having the right people around you. If you don't have that type of power around you, then you've got to, take a step in the right direction of really increasing your peer group. 
So that's mentormind. That's what I do. I don't coach people one-on-one really anymore unless I feel a high intent to do it. Um, and, uh, you know, with my, with my business of where I'm actually practically as a consultant, practically applying my hands inside of someone's business, uh, pretty much topped out on that as well. So if you want to get close to the sun, it's going to get hot. So uh, I want to encourage you guys to, to jump in if you want to. I love it. Well shared. And, and you know what, Thanks, it's, man. um, when it comes down to it, it, you know, the more people make less work, more hands make less work. So if totally you can broom. bring in the right hands and the, the right grouping and the right people, a lot of great innovation knowledge is going to be shared in that group. And those are the things that are going to help you improve yourself, but it also creates accountability. That's we huge. all yeah. need accountability. I think sometimes we forget that as entrepreneurs, oh, I work for myself. I have a great team. Who do you report to? Maybe my investors. Well, you need somebody else. You need something higher and bigger and, and more important than yourself to help drive you. And I love that you've created this. It sounds very exciting. And I think a lot of people are going to get a lot out of it. The ones yeah, they, they already are, have, I'm sure they're oh, talking yeah. about it already. So it's brilliant. <laughs> it's like the best kept secret, man. They're like, I don't want to tell anybody, dude, this is too good. I'm like, that's not how we roll. Generosity is the North Star, man. So, yeah. I love it. All right. We're going to change over to uh, our little case study. So uh, the way we kind of want to share on this one is if you can share about a founder that you've worked with or yourself and just share what it takes to be an entrepreneur. I'm sure you've seen and heard many things throughout your, your throughout your time working with entrepreneurs. And there's just an example that you have that kind of really just helps you really understand it. Say, so, you know what, this is what it took for the success uh, they broke through all the odds and, you know, this person was fantastic in what they did. Maybe you have a, sh- a story that you could share that fits in that bucket. Yeah, man. Well, for the sake of time, I'll make it pretty straightforward for you, bro. I think entrepreneurs are people who are committed to the highest good. Um, I think it's, it's, it's noble. If you feel called to be an entrepreneur, you're focusing on, you have entrepreneurial tendencies. You want to go out into the world and do something great. It is your uh, personal responsibility in order to exhaust yourself to the highest capability of good. And if you don't, it's an injustice to the world. I mean, to everybody, uh, to your family and to yourself and and certainly to the people who could leverage your brilliant ideas in order to make the world a better place. So I think, you know, the ultimate ascension of the North Star for an entrepreneur is nobility. It's about doing the right thing. It's integrity. I love it. Well said, well shared. And integrity is always a, a huge part of uh being a stand-up founder or anybody to be that uh, direct, but thank you. So now we're going to jump into the personal and business questions. We'll start with business and it is pick one or the other. And you're looking in from an investor standpoint, Mm -hmm. what would you choose founder or co-founder? Co-founder. Unicorn or a four year 10 X exit. Four year 10 X. Tech or CPG? Tech. NFT or Web 3.0? Web 3.0. AI or blockchain? Blockchain. First time founder or second, third time founder? Second, third time founder. First money in or Series A? Series A. Angel or VC? Angel. Board seat or observer? Board seat. Safe or convertible note? Convertible. Lead or follow? Lead. Equity or interest payments? Interest. Favorite part of investing? Winning. I like it. Uh, Number (laughs) of companies invested per year? Probably like five. Okay. Going off like the last 12 months. Uh, Preferred terms? Any preferred terms that you have? Not the top of my head. Okay. They're more complex, Uh, yeah. Uh, verticals of focus tech okay two qualities that a startup needs in order to stand out in your in your eyes for you to step forward and make an investment it's off my virtues dude integrity and honesty okay perfect all right personal side book or movie movie superman or batman superman restaurant or picnic picnic nice Five minutes with Bezos or Oprah? Oprah. Mountain or beach? Mountain, Denver. Bike or run? Uh, bike. Big Mac or chicken McNuggets? Big Mac. Trophy or money? 
I'm sorry. Trophy or money? Oh, money. Uh, beer or wine? Wine. Camera or mobile phone? Camera. King or rich? Uh, king. Concert or amusement park? Concert. Fortune cookie or birthday cake? Fortune cookie. <laughs> TED talk or book reading? TED talk. Most famous person that pops in your mind? Um, Gary V. Favorite book? Um, that one just threw my brain for a total loop. I'm looking at my bookshelf. Uh, the first 90 days. Love that book. First 90 days. All right. I don't know that one. Going to look it up. It's really uh, good. Okay. Favorite sports team? Uh, Buffalo Bills. All day, baby. You might be the first person I've ever met that's a fan, and I even went to games when I was younger. <laughs> I grew up in, in Rochester. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. Um, first brand that pops in your mind? Google. Favorite movie and what character would you play in the movie? Neo, the Matrix. Nice. What is the meaning of success to you? Uh, fulfilling your highest good. I like it. And the final question, what is your superpower? My energy. I like it. Again, not too many people use the energy side, so I'm uh, highly excited that uh You've uh, explored this side and see how oh, beneficial yeah. it is. So it's pretty cool. Pretty exciting. Thank you, man. Yeah, my parents were spiritual teachers, so I grew up in it from three years old. So I oh, yeah, spent a lot of time in that. Dude, well, thank Brilliant. you, man. I appreciated it. I appreciated it a ton. And I hate to blitz early, um, but I have a group call that I have to lead that's starting right this second. <laughs> so we hit it no, right on the dot, bro. You're right on the dot. So I was going to say we leave the last word to you. So I want to thank you very much, Nick, for all of your time today. And thank you very much thank for you. joining us. And uh, feel free to share one last comment to investors or startups. But thank you very much for all the valuable insights you shared. You are different by design. So go act like it and, uh, and move forward in it. I love it. Well, Nick, yeah. enjoy your day. Have a great group Thanks, call. Bro. Thank you for all your time, man. Have a Thanks, great day. Thanks, my man. Much love. We'll see you. Bye-bye. Ciao. Well, that was great. And I love the perspective that Nick brings. He, he brings all the way from coming in from not only on the sales and marketing side, but taking all of that and learning it and bringing that out into the coaching side, coming up with process. I love that he uses the energy side. Everything is about trust. And really, when you're building your business and your brand and everything around trust, um, energy, emotional value, it really does bring a lot of credibility back to your brand and to your business and creativity, emotion, reliable networking, sales, all of these things that he utilized really do emphasize one thing, which is a trusted entity. And I think all startups can see that if they can build this into their business, there is a huge, huge opportunity uh, to generate more value for your customer, more value for your business and people love trustworthy businesses. So I appreciate all your insights today. Uh, great story on Gar Gary V. And uh, again, thank you very much for uh, for all your insights. Uh, absolutely uh, well shared, Nick, thank you. Thank you for joining us today. If you enjoyed this conversation, please please feel free to share with your friends or subscribe to, your, to our YouTube channel. Follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and or Stitcher. Your support and comments are truly appreciated. You can also check us out at supportersfund.com or for any startup events, visit opn.ninja. Thank you and have a great day.